is a Woodside Church podcast. Good morning. My name's David Devonish, and I've got the privilege of concluding our series on Elijah. This is the third of a series of messages. We've been looking at this whole story to see how he prayed, how he was just like us, but still was effective in prayer. And last week, we saw the tremendous victory and answers to prayer represented by the contest with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Today, we look at what happened next when the story takes a surprising turn. Instead of victory leading to the whole nation rejoicing and, and repenting and recognising the need to serve God. Rather, Elijah is threatened and leaves the land of Israel, showing all the signs of real depression. Hence the title of this talk, Exhaustion, Depression and God's Answer. And... Daniel Lamb will now read that scripture to us. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 18. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord he said, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel forty days and forty nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. 
and after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, "What are you doing here, Elijah?" He replied again, "I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you." Torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, "Go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat." From the town of Abel Mahola to replace you as my prophet, anyone who escaped from Hazel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve seven thousand others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. So let's run through the story here. Ahab reports to his wife Jezebel. What had happened on Mount Carmel and how Baal had been shown to be ineffective, and the Lord, who they should have been serving, answered by fire. However, that didn't change Jezebel's heart, and she showed that she was really in charge, although her husband was king, and she vowed with what's a very strong oath. That Elijah would die as well. So how did Elijah react? Most of our translations say that he feared, and this is based on some early manuscripts, original manuscripts such as the Greek translation of the Old Testament and one or two other manuscripts. But the actual Hebrew text that we have now、uh, from that time just says he saw. And so the King James Bible, which is not one I quote very often, but it reads this: "And when he Elijah saw that, that saw Jezebel's reaction, he arose and went for his life." Saw is a more neutral word. And so, really, what was Elijah's emotion here? It could have been fear. Which is the interpretation many have put on it, but equally, it could have been disappointment. Disappointment that after such a great victory over the idol Baal, the king Ahab and the people were still not going to follow the Lord and His word. Can you imagine the anticlimax that represented? How God had demonstrated His saving power. God had demonstrated that He was with His prophet, whose word、uh, was able to stop the rain and then start it again. And then, after momentary enthusiasm, when the people all declared, "Yes, Yahweh is God," Ahab and Jezebel. And then the people didn't 
turned back to God and were still not going to follow the Lord and his word. After the victory, Ahab should have become like other godly kings in the history of Israel and Judah and let Elijah become the prophetic voice to him and the nation. That didn't happen. How deeply disappointing. And also, when you think that the adrenaline rush there must have been, the, the wonders of Elijah having spent that whole day demonstrating that God was Lord. And then came down to earth with a bang, we might say. Anticlimax. And whatever the cause, whether it was disappointment or fear, both of which can induce depression, Elijah demonstrated real signs of depression. He left his servant at Beersheba, which is the southerly point of the land of Israel, went into the desert, the Sinai Desert, and lay down saying, I may as well die. I've had enough, Lord. Just like the prophets before me, my fathers, I think it refers to these earlier prophets, I'm no better than them in bringing the people back to God. Depressed, deflated, disappointed, fearful of what would happen to him. Then, as he slept, rather than God hearing his prayer, this is a prayer that God didn't hear when Elijah asked God to take him home to be with himself. He didn't answer that. But with a touch of remarkable grace, compassion and understanding. God understands. God understands his followers. Even more we understand that today. Because Jesus, it says, was tempted in every way like us. Jesus got deeply depressed before the cross. He understood these emotions. And so an angel, the angel of the Lord, touched Elijah, woke him up gently, gave him a good meal, freshly baked bread and water to drink. Then, as he went back to sleep, was a beautiful second touch. Elijah, you've got a long journey ahead. So Elijah ate again and miraculously was sustained for 40 days and nights to go to Mount Horeb on Sinai, or Mount Sinai, often called, where God had originally given Moses the Ten Commandments. And he went into a cave on the mountain there. 40 days, of course, is significant. It represents the 40 years of the wandering of the people of Israel in the wilderness. And then later, Jesus entered into that and spent 40 days in the wilderness overcoming the enemy. And so he got to his cave. And God spoke to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah, I've been so zealous for your honour, Lord, 
Now I'm the only one left. Another sign of depression. I'm all alone. And they're trying to kill me. God again said to him, come into the presence of God. Move to the entrance of the cave. And then there's a powerful message, which was exactly what Elijah needed at this time. First there was a mighty wind, but God wasn't in the strong wind. Then there was an earthquake. God wasn't in the earthquake. Then a fire. At Carmel, God had been in the fire. Fire came down from heaven. But now God wasn't in the fire. God doesn't always work the same way. Winds, earthquakes and fire can be symbols of the presence of God. But on this occasion, they weren't. But there was a soft, gentle whisper. All that a depressed Elijah needed. A soft, gentle whisper. And God spoke to him again. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said the same thing. I'm the only one left. Then Elijah was given a new task. Anoint three people. They will be the ones to bring judgment on the kingly line of Ahab, not you. God was still going to be patient. Give time for repentance, as he often did. And anoint Elisha and Jehu and Hazael. And Elisha actually did much more than bring the judgment of God against Ahab. Rather, he brought the power of God to Israel for many, many years. And all sorts of miracles happened and the blessing of God came through Elisha into the people of God. It said, talks about the, uh, those left over from not being killed by the other two guys would be killed by Elisha. Actually, Elisha didn't kill anybody, but his prophetic presence and his prophetic words spoke the end of the Ahab dynasty and rather that God was working now in a different way, not through these kings, but through the prophets who hear the voice of God and the many companies of people that gathered around the prophets. So what are the lessons for us? Firstly, I just want to bring to you the reality of depression. Personally, I've not suffered from deep depression at all, but very close members of my family have. And as I said, Jesus understands if that's what you're going through or have been through. And even great bold prophets like Elijah can become depressed. Even after the greatest of mountaintop experiences, literally mountaintop, and after what would have been an exhausting day. Whether it's fear or disappointment, both can induce spiritual depression. Anxiety, disappointment, exhaustion, or a sense of failure, which Elijah was also feeling. 
you know, even people that seem successful outwardly, seem bold. Remember the title of this series, that Elijah was as human as we are and suffered human emotions and a sense of failure and I'm no good. God comes to meet that. Jezebel had certainly created great fear through her anger. Very important. Whether you're parent, leadership, never motivate by anger inducing fear. Other than, of course, and it's not anger or that sort of fear, fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, respect for God and his word. And so there was disappointment that not everything accomplished was what would be hoped, what he would have hoped for. And that can happen to us. Even great victories and adrenaline rushes and mighty moves of the Spirit amongst us. Afterwards, when we don't quite see everything happen that we want to, because God sometimes moves fast and sometimes moves slowly, can result in depression or disillusionment for us. Be careful at such times. We could become disappointed in the current season. There's been a great stress on prayer during this season. And at the beginning of the time, we had these amazing prayer meetings when so many people came on Zoom. And the church across the world has been praying more. Will our prayers be answered in the way that we want? Long term, yes, they will. Short term, we may be disappointed, but faith keeps going in the middle of disappointment. So will our prayers be answered? Will there be a turning in our nation to the Lord as a result of the pandemic? I'm praying so. How will it be if our hopes are dashed and answers to our prayers deferred? As I say, God answers our prayers. God will bring about his purposes in the earth. Every knee will bow to Jesus. But sometimes the working out of that is deferred because with God, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. There were signs of depression here with Elijah walking away, giving up, asking to die and believing that he was the only one left. God's first answer then was a touch of his presence. He felt the touch of the presence of God on you personally. Secondly, a great meal. <laughs> the word of God's very practical. A good sleep. And later, a new purpose in life. The spiritual depression, I'm not saying all depression is answered by this, but the, for Elijah, the recommissioning, a new purpose in life, in addition to the other three things, was what was helpful for him. And often spiritual depression can be not only as a result of disappointment, but exhaustion and a sense of lack of purpose. Second thing we learn is Elijah's recommissioning. First thing to notice about this, God gave him a new task. My favorite, I've finished my work. Well, I won the contest on Carmel, at least God did, through me. 
But God works in different ways, not just through wind, fire and earthquake, not just through powerful things that happen, but, but probably more often in the quiet whisper of his presence, which is not so dramatic, but wonderfully healing. Are we alert to this? Do we stop our activity long enough to hear God? Are we able to hear God, God's soft, gentle whisper in the midst of our busyness? Because we have to live busy lives. Or do we just let exhaustion drive us on? Elijah had still more to do, to anoint these three others who will serve God's purposes. At that time, judgment on the house of Ahab for leading the people away from God. The kings wouldn't get away with that long term. We also have a commission to bring the good news of Jesus to every ethnic group, to all people, the grace of God demonstrated to the world. And then in his recommissioning, he, it was stressed the importance of the next generation. Anoint Elisha. All of us as we grow older should be thinking about what the next generation can do, not just what we can do. How can they be equipped? The tasks Elijah was given, except for the anointing of Elisha himself, were not done by Elijah at all. They were actually done by Elisha, the next generation prophet. For many of us, our call and what we've worked for may be fulfilled only in the next generation. Had a little glimpse of that when watching the Catalyst Festival online. I was so impressed by it. It was wonderful. People, 48 hours of prayer, led by people from New Zealand or through the Middle East, Central Asia, all the way around the world. Worship in different languages. Testimonies from different countries about what God's doing. Now, when I led Catalyst for a while, or even started Catalyst, that was my heart for it to happen. But... It happened under the new leadership of Simon Holly and obviously others who are part of his team, like Martin Tibbert. Yeah, it's got, and I rejoice. I rejoice in what happens when the next generation succeeds. And thirdly, don't think you're all alone and don't do everything alone. Elijah was rebuked by God telling him that 7,000 others were not following Baal. Elijah needed to find these new companies of believers. As we know from earlier in the story, a man called Obadiah had already hid 40 other prophets in a cave. Elijah was not true. He wasn't the only one left. The problem was Elijah was a bit of a loner. You might say it was understandable with all the things he had to do. But there, for people who are loners, there's a temptation to think this way. Elisha, by contrast, was always, if you read the accounts, surrounded by people. And that's God's plan for us, not to be on our own. Even the disciples were taught that right from the beginning. God sent them out two by two. We do things together. Even when Elisha was anointed for the first time, he threw a party for all his friends before following Elijah. Although we may have different personalities, <coughs> extrovert or introvert, we still need others around us. And so Jesus said to his original disciples, the 12, go and make disciples of all nations. How did they work that out in practice? 
individual discipleship programs. No, they planted churches, communities of disciples that followed God. True discipleship can only be worked out in community because God has created us for a community. And a lot of the rough edges in our lives don't come out when we're on our own. They come out in community. And God is melding us together, fitting us together to be the temple in which he lives by the Spirit. And so churches were planted. They met in those days in large houses for example, at the beginning of the book of Acts, there were 120 in the house church there, as uh, Martin uh, Tibbet referred to in a recent message from him. And I've, I've experienced that. I was in Pakistan once, and I had, there were about 180 in a house church, in the big courtyard of this house church, in uh, this house in rural Pakistan. And so... Hebrews 10.25, which has been difficult for us recently, it says this, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. That's always been a problem, apparently. But encouraging one another, because that's what we do when we gather together. Sometimes through persecution or pandemic, we cannot meet in the same way. We haven't been able to recently. But we still need to seek out one another, because being all alone can also be a factor leading to depression. The church is, the glory of the church is, it is composed of people you wouldn't normally mix with. Old and young, rich and poor, educated and not so educated, different ethnicities, different social classes, people with very different interests. That's what we need, because that's the glory of the church. That's to demonstrate to the world how great God is, Paul says in the letter to the Ephesians. To show his multicoloured wisdom through the church by bringing all sorts of different people who wouldn't get on with each other naturally, wouldn't meet each other even naturally. As I, when, I, when I'm part of the church here, I'm meeting people that naturally I just wouldn't encounter. Hallelujah, that's God's plan to demonstrate his multicoloured wisdom to the world. That's the, 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 the gospel witness is not just in spoken word, but in by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And that is expressed in the church. Different people who can work together for the purposes of God. You can't achieve that on your own or just with a small group of close friends, even though we need that. So, just by way of conclusion, Elijah was as human as we are. And today's story illustrates that. As a human being, he was vulnerable to depression and a sense of failure. God met him in grace and gave what he needed. Gave him loving care, compassion, hearing God's voice again, and re-energised with a new purpose. May God meet us. May we be touched by his presence. May we receive the things that lift us up. The grace of God, the compassion, the understanding of Jesus, who's been tempted in every way like us, but without sinning. And let's hear God's voice. And as we come 
hopefully soon to the end of this pandemic season, at least in our own nation. And let's pray for the nations around the world where it's, they haven't got the vaccinations that we have. Let, but let's be energised with new purpose for the glory of God and the spreading of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, Father, I just thank you. Thank you for the way you met Elijah. Thank you that even in his sense of failure, disappointment and fear, you touched his life. Touch our lives. Touch us with the same truths that you touched Elijah. Touch him with the same sense of your presence. Touch him. Touch, touch us, Lord, like you did Elijah. And commission us and encourage us as, as Elijah did to meet with others. Lord, I pray, thank you for your people. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit moving in our lives and touching us, God's presence known by us. Thank you for Jesus supremely, our Saviour, who suffered for us. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.